My name is Jake. I wanted to tell you, make this message, because if anything happens to me and any of my friends, somebody needs to know what's going on. I can't tell you where I live or my last name. You just have to trust me that what I'm talking about is real. This is a real place, a real town. It may even be your town. Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a podcast dedicated to the weekly discussion of Kay Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And I'm Mitchell. And welcome to our second episode. After our first episode, we're excited to be back. Excited to jump into episode two and a new book and see what happens. I'm so excited. Yeah, we're both excited. Super excited. The Visitor is uh, it's a good book still. No, you're, you're already in the review. No, no, I'm just saying that, you know, the first book I was, I, was, I was really excited to get into, and the second book, still excited, but it's a little bit less than the first book. That's all. That's all I'm getting at. Yeah, with the first with the first book, I mean, that's the that's one of the biggest in the series because it sets up everything. And then number two, it's like, oh, now we got like 60 more of these. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to actually tell you about, um, uh, we've discussed it a little bit, but obviously we're both aware of the Animorphs video games that are out there. Um, you yourself said that you've played the PlayStation one, uh, video game. Was that shattered reality? Shattered, shattered realities for the PS one. Shattered expectations. (laughs) Yes. Shattered, (laughs) shattered realities for the PlayStation one. Right. Well, I looked up some gameplay of that. Um, I, I guess I wasn't expecting like kind of a 2d platformer, basically a 2d platformer where you occasionally turn into an animal or bug or dragonfly or whatever those are classified as nowadays. Yeah, I think I watched like five minutes of the first level of the game and I didn't see any any morphing whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, and the weirdest thing about that game is it was it, it was trying to be like Mario or something. You had coins with the Animorph symbol yeah. on them. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I saw that. Yeah. I wondered I, what that was about. I mean, that used to, I mean, in the 90s when video games were catching on and becoming this big thing, uh, that was the format you would jump to with a platformer is that you had to collect something there'd be an occasional secret item you collect and it'd be like coin based and you'd get from point a to point b and uh animal shattered reality did not shatter any uh cliches by following along <laughs> that format <laughs> nice pun good insult i i feel like this podcast <laughs> will succeed if we raise up the pun level and limericks well, limericks as well if we can somehow put limericks into this uh podcast oh that's a challenge man now i'm gonna start writing animorphs limericks oh my gosh that once was a hawk named tobias <laughs> he was sad uh, i got <laughs> yeah nice rhyme uh, uh well okay so i didn't i didn't even want to talk about shattered realities because i never played it and it looked terrible you played it i assume it was terrible right maybe i loved it <laughs> i mean <laughs> you loved it well, oh great. i mean i was uh i was probably 11 or 12 when that game came out no maybe a little yeah, yeah, I was probably well, and 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 back in the '90s, I guess our expectations of video games was a lot lower. Well, I don't so... know. First, first PlayStation One game I had was Twisted Metal Two. I mean, that's that's pretty strong out of the gate. Well, I don't think you can compare Twisted Metal Two to Animorph Shattered Realities. <laughs> I, as a child, all right, I was playing Final Fantasy Nine in the same time range as you know Animorphs Shattered Reality. I didn't know that there was a uh, Animorphs Game Boy Color game. 
made so so long ago. I've seen screenshots. I don't I don't know anything about it. Oh boy, dude! I I watched a playthrough. I I kid you not. It is a Pokemon clone. Really? Let that sink in for a second. Yeah, it's a Pokemon clone. It it it's basically a top down game. Um, it's got you know sprites like Pokemon, very very small, not detailed. It's it's very two D. You know, it looks like an NES game, but this was released on the Game Boy Color. From from what I gathered from watching the painful painful playthrough, is uh you know you you just I think you start out playing as Cassie for some reason, and you walk around this little town and um there's there's little animal sprites walking around and you can walk up to an animal sprite it goes into this pseudo pokemon style battle and uh if you beat the animal you can acquire it and then you can collect for some reason they limited it to six morphs per your character so so you go up to this little animal sprite who's just hanging out minding his own business and you fight him for to acquire a morph (laughs) Yeah, for some reason, it's very Pokemon-esque. How does the fighting like I work? I mean, do you do you actually... Are you it's, hitting them it's, and stuff? It's, yeah, it's very much like a Pokemon battle system. You you go into the battle, and then, you know, it shows their character sprite and your character sprite, and you've got your move list of, like, your little attacks. Like, if you morph a dog, you know, you can choose <laughs> bite or whatever. But from what I... Uh, from what the uh, notes on the, on the playthrough said, um, it, it's largely... Uh, just kind of a button masher in terms of battle. There's not a whole lot of strategy that goes into it, and um, yeah, it just it just looked like a like an NES Animorphs game. I don't know if I could play it honestly, but I don't know. That sounds like an instant buy. I don't know if you need to check out any reviews or gameplay on YouTube. <laughs> I think you should just head on over to Amazon and throw in your credit card, and and then dig out your Game Boy Color from your basement. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, ah, that's weird. That's just a, po- a Pokemon clone, Animorphs game. Animorphs game. That's and it's official. It's official. It's not like of course a fan-made it is. Thing. Well, back then they were just <laughs> they they would throw out their rights to anything like a video game. No one. It wasn't like a movie where they actually had the writers who care about how it turned out. They're just you know whatever free money. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose. Anyway, so I just thought it was interesting. Last week, after recording uh, our first episode, The Invasion, which you can find now on iTunes and major retailers, um, <laughs> uh, after recording that one, I thought it was really interesting uh, getting into the editing podcast phase of uh, of starting this show, which kind of fell on me because I was both interested in doing it and most available for it. And I stuck you with the work. Yeah, pretty much, uh, which, is, which is how it goes. That's fine. It was kind of uh, it was a joint idea to start this podcast, but I I was interested in the uh, nitty gritty of the tech and all of that as well. So so I jumped into editing it, and uh, it was weird. I realized after I finished it, which took took a little while to get through everything and go through more than two hours of us just rambling on and making horrible jokes. It was interesting after I was done with it, having something that long uh, edited together and and complete because. Uh, as we might have mentioned once, we talked about uh, going to the same film school, I think, in the first episode. Yeah, we, we're both heavily into film production and, and uh, shooting video and film and uh, shorts and writing features. and all, Just the whole filmmaking industry, that's kind of our big interest and in what we're trying to do. And so I've edited tons of video. I've edited, you know, 
narrative live action all over the place. Oh, you've edited tons of movies. Yeah, I've edited pretty much every genre of video production we could think of, documentaries and yeah, shorts well, that's what and I, features. And... That's what I wanted to be originally. I wanted to go into editing specifically because I enjoyed it so much. So it was very weird um, knowing that the longest thing I've edited now is a podcast and, and jumping into just editing audio and how different that is from video. Uh, I found it really interesting. It's it's cool. I, I'm excited. Not to... only is it the longest thing you've ever edited, it's probably also the the fastest turnaround of something you've ever edited. Yeah, I mean, I'm used to, you know, when you jump into post production, spending months. <laughs> yeah, when you jump into post production on even you know a commercial or or something like that, uh, the way we do it, uh, we can we can be in post for months and months at a time as we line up different departments to get out a finished product. So it's really interesting going straight from editing, you know, putting in music, putting in an opening, you know, creating a segue, all that stuff that, yeah, in just a week's time, you've got, you've got content. So I found that kind of inspiring. It's very rewarding. I Hopefully it will be, or I'll get burnt out super fast and just want to quit this. No, there's no quitting, bro. We're <laughs> in it now. You and me. Yeah. Yeah. We got this. Um, but we're in it to win it. Yeah. That's crazy. But we'll, we'll, wait, you win something for podcasting, right? I assume we'll win the loyalty and praise uh, from a huge fan base. So we're through the first book. And uh, one thing that I had always wondered about was um, with this morphing technology, uh, why why limit that to just animals? Um, and I, I think at some point in the series, they, they have a debate or something about the morality of you know like morphing other humans and stuff and uh i think a, a another character uh brings it up later and and i think even does it um and they they frown upon it uh highly that taboo is shattered later on during a certain trilogy that will go unnamed so far right yeah and um I, I, I guess they'll address it at that point. I just wondered why they hadn't addressed it uh, in the first or second book. Well, they kind of do, not in the first or second book. Uh, here, when we go into the fourth book, they touch on sentient species and morphing them a little bit. Um, and uh, like you said, I mean, once once we get into the early 20s, we definitely have a character who, who jumps right into a human morph at one point. Um, well, yeah, and I know that they do it, they, they actually do it later on, further towards the end of the series, uh, when they're, you know, when, when they deem it necessary. But for the most part, in the beginning here, it's, it's, they're pretty, pretty adamant about not morphing human. And we don't, uh, we never really get any information on what that's like uh morphing another human as far as i know i mean obviously there's a lot of ghost written ones i haven't read and neither of you for the most part but yeah but as far as i know um all the characters who do end up morphing humans uh they know they don't really talk about the experience like they go in depth with cockroach morphs and everything else well i am pumped man let's get into this the visitor number two let's talk about this yeah let's go harboring an alien form of life, a cosmic form, which to survive must take over every human man. So I ran, I ran. They're after you! They're after all of us! Our wives, our children, everyone! They're here already! You're next! You're next! You're next! You're next! You're next! 
right, so let's talk about uh, Animorphs book number two, The Visitor. On the cover, we've got Rachel morphing a cat. Mm -hmm. So that's going to happen eventually. Yeah, it's, it's all told from her perspective. So lo loving already the jumping to different people, and it's the best part of the series. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Multiple perspectives. Always good. Uh, I'm going to kick off reading the back of the book here. Go ahead. If someone told you Earth was under a silent attack, there's a good chance you'd think they were pretty strange. If that same person said Earth's only means of defense depends on the actions and powers of five kids, you'd probably start to look for a quick exit. Guess what? It's all true. Rachel and her friends knew they were in for some pretty strange stuff from the very beginning. How often do you run into a dying alien who gives you the power to morph into any animal you touch? But that was before they knew what they would be up against. Now they know. And they know what they have to do before it's too late. Dun, 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 <laughs> the visitor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good recap. Um, or, yeah, good summary. I love the uh, the back of the book summary. Well, you know, I, I, like to, I like to put a little theatrical tinge to it, kind of flex my thespian muscles here. We're not just here to teach you, dear listener. We're here to entertain. No, I'm here to make them feel. <laughs> okay, so jumping right in, this book starts out with the obligatory uh, recap. Now, this is, as we mentioned in the first episode, this is something we're going to be doing quite a bit, and this is one of the shorter ones. It's just kind of her uh, talking about the Animorphs, talking about, you know, last name, blah, 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 and uh, we jump right into everyone in the sky in their brand new shiny bird morphs. Yeah, well, it's nice that, you know, when they do these recaps, they're at least, all the characters are at least doing something to, so it's not just a straight information dump. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, in this case, everyone's uh, in their brand new bird morphs. Yeah, which this is, I mean, these are the morphs that are by far used more often throughout the rest of the series. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it's pretty safe to say these are, whenever they need wings, these are going to be their standard Bird morphs. And they're um, they're consistent too. They stick the same ones. You got two ospreys, uh bald eagle, uh Perigen Falcon, and then Tobias's red tailed hawk. Yeah, that's that's their team. So <laughs> the book starts out with everybody flying around and um they they run afoul of some uh I don't know, rednecks, hillbillies? What are they doing? They're sitting out in a truck, uh drinking beer and, and shooting endangered species i guess it's a whole nother level to shoot at the national bird <laughs> yeah it's kind of dumb uh maybe they couldn't see i i guess you know if they're well no you would know what a bald eagle looks like these you guys think? are drunken hillbillies they're idiots and the kids decide to do something stupid which they will do quite often towards the beginning of the series without really thinking about it in fact more stupidity coming up uh later in this very book to be fair <laughs> um tobias kind of leads this charge uh, as he does with many things bird-related, the atrocities towards well, yeah, birds. He's, he's very passionate about, you know, people mistreating birds, as we will see in book three. So, so yeah, so nope. they, they go down and uh, they attack these rednecks, and, you know, you, you get your little cutesy scene of uh, the bald eagle taking the shotgun and throwing it out over the ocean, which is always good times. I, I especially like how Marco uh, steals the other guy's beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Mar it's kind of like an afterthought, like, it's like he had nothing better to do, so he went ahead and grabbed the beer and... <laughs> Threw it in a trash can from like a mile up. Right. Well, at this point, you know, Marco's just kind of in it for the fun. So if he's not having fun, <laughs> what's the point? Yeah. So they go back uh, to their clock tower hideout. Uh, yeah. Bell yeah. Tower. A, a, a church tower, right? Yeah. A church tower without the bell. 
It's kind of uh, a place they've deemed for this book, and I don't think they ever go back to it, but they said it's kind of a place they can demorph safely. We get one of the little scenes where they comment on how Cassie is able to do it beautifully, and she leaves the wings to the end. She looks like an angel, and just to reinforce the idea that Cassie is way, way, way better at this than everyone else. Um, and then you look over, and Tobias is sitting there, still as a hawk, hanging out, just by himself. Why is that, Coleman? That is because if you listen to Thought Speak, Episode 1, The Invasion, which you can find on iTunes and other major retailers, you would know that Tobias was trapped in Morph at the end of the last book, uh, tragically. So he's kind of just a reminder of the two-hour Morph limit. Stay in it longer than two hours, and that's what you'll be for the rest of your life. Kind of uh, introduced to a running gag throughout the series where where Marco's... uh... Really, really interested in the idea of instead of fighting the Yurks with their their powers, uh, he tries to convince everyone that maybe they should go into show business instead. Uh, specifically, he he wants to take his little morphing act to uh, the Letterman show, which I know will come up more and more throughout the series. Yeah, and it's uh it's actually something I used to think about when I was younger. Um, if you, if I had this morphing power, all the just the little weird things I'd do with it, how I could make a career out of it. Uh, it's always something I thought about just kind of those, oh, if I ran across a genie and I got three wishes, you know, one of them would be to morph and then I would do all these crazy, awesome things with it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So then they, they go into uh, a little more recap, uh, into what happened at the construction site where they first became morph capable and, and started their careers as earth war criminals. Um, and I was going to say superheroes. <laughs> yeah, either one, one, one or the other. Um, so, yeah, and they go into that. And uh, I really like this one little part where Rachel makes a comment uh, about when Visitor 3 uh, took Elfangor and started to eat him, chomp down on him. And she says, she stops mid-sentence, and she's like, oh, you'll have to ask Jake. I just like that little reference to the fact that it's like they're aware that they're keeping these journals, each of them, and she's kind of referencing the first book, that you should go back and read that. That was one thing I was going to point out, was uh, at the the very beginning of the series, um, Jake even says he's writing it all down. And I was wondering if it ever comes back later that they, they ever reference this this uh, writing, that they're writing these adventures um, to keep track of. No, they don't. Uh, but I think if they wanted to jump into another series like they tentatively talked about, uh, it would be really cool for these to be on record. Like there's something kept in the Smithsonian and you know, it's just like these journals that they kept during the war. That would be really cool to see come back later or something. Yeah. So yeah, after them talking about Tom and uh, Jake reiterating his reason to fight and all of that, uh, they start talking about what they're going to do next. I mean, they've got this war to fight, even though not all of them are on board. They want to make another move, even though the last one didn't turn out well. Yeah, and at at this point they're uh they're not exactly the best at planning, I would say. No, they're 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 very careful about talking about this since the Yerk pool was such a disaster. Uh but somehow they they did get a little jazzed afterwards. They felt like they did something. So they they're eager to try something new. Yeah. Yeah. And um their their plans are uh kind of dashed at the moment because as uh jake mentions he uh went back to check on the uh door that they initially used in the first book to get down to the yerk pool the uh door that's in a janitor's closet in their school and jake reveals that that door is no longer there 
So now the problem has switched to, well, we need to find a new way to get down into the Yerk pool. And the most obvious thing to do is, okay, well, what controller do we know that we could maybe follow around or check out and maybe he'll lead us to another entrance or there's got to be some way to see what the Yerks have going on. And of course they bring up Tom because he's the main controller they know. He's, he's the one they're closest to, but Jake's pretty firmly against that. Well, yeah. And you know, as Jake mentions, he just, he, he really doesn't want to involve Tom at this point because he doesn't want to bring suspicion to his family. He doesn't want anything bad to happen to Tom if they find out, you know, that he's had some involvement with these Andalite bandits. That That's just kind of where his mind is. It's probably smart for them in the long run, too, because suspicion on Tom could bring suspicion on Jake. Yeah, yeah, basically. So, so who's the next controller we know? Chapman. Vice Principal Chapman. Yeah. Why couldn't they? Why couldn't he just be the principal? Nope. Why does he gotta be vice? Because I don't know. They didn't want to give him too much authority, or I, I don't know. Also, I think uh, I think it was specifically because I it wasn't really like this in my school, but I think she was insinuating that maybe where she grew up, like the vice principal is the one who was more hands on with the students, giving out discipline stuff. Yeah, you know, I think that's generally the case, though it wasn't in my high school i do feel so, like whenever i got detention it was from the vice principal not the main principal the 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 principal at uh, my high school was actually uh, a relative of mine so i never got into trouble and i did a lot of things so yeah they decide to follow chapman uh and see how that might work out yeah and then we're also introduced to um because we're following rachel uh she goes to gymnastics and that's kind of where we're introduced to this whole uh, Rachel's a gymnast sort of thing. But while she's there at, at her gymnastics class, uh, we're introduced to her friend Melissa. And uh, Melissa's real special because she is actually Chapman's daughter. And uh, right away, Rachel notices that, you know, something's up with her. She's she's acting very off. She's not herself. Uh, her and Rachel have, have, you know, grown apart as friends and something's definitely off of her. I think this is one of those points where the last time we saw this was with Tom. So I think we're supposed to be led to believe that Melissa maybe is a controller. Maybe that's why she's a little off. But she's more well, in distress, really, than she is just being weird. Yeah, yeah. Her, her behavior is not, like, controller weird. It's just, like, she's she's very different. She's not the friendly girl that Rachel remembers. And why would she be with uh freaking head yurik as her father <laughs> spoilers Ugh. um <laughs> so yeah so uh we we make note of this uh this melissa rachel relationship because that's going to be what this book's about which i think we can bring right. up i think now would be a great time to bring up the fact uh that this book is so much different than the first book well yeah because the first book you know is obviously the whole beginning of the alien invasion and, and our heroes and all that but now we're kind of getting into the more family dynamic of it to see how besides jake and tom how other families are are hurt and damaged and destroyed by the yurks well it's more it's more about even just the type of book it is i mean it's weird that the first book is this big epic sci-fi story that introduces a whole new universe builds it from the ground up uh it takes place in the real world as well and now we're into a very personal story about a girl not understanding why her parents don't love her anymore. Yeah, well, as as personal as we can get, you know, 
secondhand. We're <laughs> we're we're only getting Rachel's. Well, it's personal for her thoughts and feelings. It's personal it, for but, her yeah. because she's connected to this, not necessarily the whole family, but to this person having to deal with this. So it's just it's a weird jump. Uh, I like it. Don't get me wrong. I li- I like that it's a jump like this. Uh, but it's weird to go from such a uh, plot based book to a more character piece. <laughs> Yeah, well, don't get too attached to Melissa. I don't think she's in the rest of the series, but... <laughs> <laughs> I assume she gets killed off immediately after this book. Who knows, you know? So after the heart-to-heart with Melissa and kind of setting up where that plot's going to go, Rachel decides to walk home alone. Uh, <clears throat> she's confronted by this guy driving by who sees her, checks her out, and uh, <laughs> and yeah, he comes after her, but not the greatest girl to go after, especially in a forceful way. I guess you could try running, but um, what's the point in running when you can just morph a freaking elephant? Yeah, and she's already that's, a, that's what she does. She's already a little upset, so just bad timing. <laughs> and she, to to her credit, I guess she didn't morph an entire elephant. She just kind of <laughs> half morphed. Just so. just half an elephant, you know, for dramatic effect. Well, it's enough to scare the guy off. Stupid, though, considering, you know, he can make a controller or anything. Or any one of the other alien species that we haven't been introduced yet in the series. Yeah, but I think she was pretty safe in the fact that this guy was being, you know, kind of aggressive and and coming after her. Like, I don't think that would fit into a Yerk's cover. It's like, oh, there's a girl on the street. I better go bother her to keep my cover as a human. So it's highly likely he wasn't a controller, and we don't hear from him ever again. But still, stupid move on Rachel's part. Yeah. But she's impulsive, and we'll learn that throughout the series. Oh, impulsive is is the right word for Rachel. I think they wrote an entire book just about how impulsive she is (laughs) after being confronted by this guy she scares him off he's running for his life basically and she's just finishing up morphing back to human as chapman and melissa drive up i i don't know about you but when 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 it says they drive up i imagine them pulling up in like a uh red lamborghini oh i pictured don't don't know why like a big black suv for some reason (laughs) i like the lamborghini oh whatever yeah so so they roll up in a lamborghini apparently and they offer her a ride, just, you know, the sensible thing to do. But, of course, in Rachel's mind, it's like, did he see me? How much did he see? Is he getting me in his car to take me to the yurt pool? You know, what's going on? Yeah, there's a lot of doubt and a lot of suspicion. That doesn't really pay off, but... <laughs> yeah, but it's a nice little tense moment uh, to, you know, I don't think anything big would go down in the book this early, but uh, you never know. Animorph books have done crazier. Oh, yeah. So, after she gets dropped off, we meet Rachel's mom, who's a lawyer. And she stays at home and works most of the time so that she can spend time with her two daughters because it's a broken divorce family. Yeah, she's they they make sure to paint her very quickly as the sort of person who is, you know, she tries to be there for her kids and and do all the right stuff. But she's really consumed by her work life and just, you know, she's she's going to be that parent who's... (laughs) Uh, away at a court case or whatever you know yeah and it makes a point to say that rachel has a pretty decent relationship with her father he's just a little further away so you know it's mostly the mom do you know do we ever see rachel's father we do we do okay mm-hmm. okay it's uh, I've forgotten it's a very interesting plot line later on oh no he's a <laughs> yerk. no no it's not no, He's an spoil- android. Spoiler. <laughs> uh, okay, so Ra- Rachel's home life. Uh, yeah, we, we, we learn about her mom. We learn about her two sisters. 
uh, Jordan and Sarah. And for the longest time, I couldn't remember if Jordan was a boy or a girl. No, <laughs> but it's a girl. Uh, yeah. Well, it just doesn't bring that up all the time. <laughs> no, that's why I'm constantly wondering. I'm like, oh man, what? She got a brother? I don't know. Yeah. So after <laughs> after she's home, we learn more about her family and who she is and gymnastics and just just all this good Rachel stuff. Uh, she gives a call to Jake and invites him over as well as the others to talk about a possible plan uh, after confronting Melissa and, and Chapman senior. Yeah. But when she calls everybody, she's got a secret. They've got a little secret lingo in case controllers are listening in. So she says, uh, you guys want to come over and listen to that new CD, which neither of us are reading the reprint on this one. So I assume the reprints like, Hey, I got a new iPod. You want to come just listen to music on it? <laughs> You guys want to come listen to the Thought Speak podcast? Oh yeah, that's what that's, we gotta write in. Uh, now that we're the official, unofficial podcast, we gotta get playing in the books. We gotta get shout outs. It's never gonna happen. <laughs> so they all get there, and we get one of our many, 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 many group meetings in somebody's room slash barn slash open field. They get together for a friendly yell yeah. at <laughs> Rachel for being so stupid. Oh, I love these. <laughs> these are the moments I cherish in Animorphs when somebody did something absolutely retarded and just Marco is just demanding their head. Yeah, so Marco Marco obviously brings the snark and, uh, you know, Cassie's quick to defend and, and uh, I think it's Jake who eventually is like, okay, let's all just shut up. It's done and over. <laughs> And uh, they, they move on to the planning phase. This is the first moment in this book, it's kind of a running theme as well of this book, of Rachel not telling them everything about what happened. You know, she mentions uh, the turning into an elephant, does not mention the Chapman pickup, uh, does not want to get in trouble with them for that, which Marco probably would have had a stroke. Well, yeah, so so from this... From this... Uh, a little session they they decide that you know they've they've got to go after chapman he's he's their best link i found it very funny how they are all against bug morphs at the moment because they discuss morphing cockroaches and uh right now um it, it's it seems kind of impossible to all of them to you know be a gross bug but uh the bug morphs man they're they're really going to be key players throughout the series later and you know that k applegate brought this up because it's you have to you have to later on when in their best stealth mode is you know some tiny little bug so she immediately brings us up to foreshadow uh just all the insane bug morphs that are going to go down throughout the series and it, of course it was going to happen I honestly forgot all the foreshadowing. And when I read over it again, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's going to happen later. Yeah, later on in this book, we're going to get to a point where uh, I thought that was a very suspicious point of foreshadowing. And it might be a reach. It might not be foreshadowing, but it's kind of a cool one if it is. But we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Oh, sure. They decide on using uh, Melissa's cat, Fluffer McKitty, to gain entrance to the Chapman household because, as uh, you know, they point out, there's there's a cat door. When they get to her house to kind of scope it out and see if they can find the cat, they notice the cat door, they get an easy entrance, uh, and they just got to catch this cat, which should be the easiest part of the mission. You know, it's it's a cat. It's outside. Well, and, and, and finding the cat is made so much easier because Tobias is, uh, he's their eye in the sky and he will continue to be kind of their, you know, reconnaissance uh, information gatherer throughout the, the series. And I suspect that's probably why 
Miss Applegate decided to, to, you know, trap him in a hawk body. Yeah, I mean, it's so soon on. Pretty smart. I mean, if he had the two hour limit and it was just one of them turning into a bird uh, every book, that could be kind of dicey and boring. But having, you know, this tragic figure who is actually really helpful to the group and can stay up there for a long time uh, makes him useful, makes him a part of the team still. So here we have uh, one of the first instances of Tobias actually starting to act and think like a hawk. Since he's been trapped in Morph for a little over a week now, he he's, he's noticing mice and talking about how plump and juicy they look and... Marco even even uh, has a pretty insensitive comment, I thought, here, aimed at Tobias, where he says, um, he says, get a grip, Tobias. Don't start eating rats, all right? I don't know if I can have someone who eats rats for a friend, which is kind of a shitty thing to say to a kid who's stuck in a hawk body. Yeah, but it's also extremely, extremely normal. I mean, that that would totally just be a joking thing, I mean, because, because the idea that he would have a friend who eats mice is ridiculous, and Marco was pointing that out, but... Since it's his reality, it's a shitty thing to say. Marco's an asshole. <laughs> so, but I like that the group, especially Jake. I mean, Marco's his best friend, but Jake, you know, shuts that down immediately. Yeah, yeah. Mark, Mark Marco begrudgingly makes it up to him, sort of in his way. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, we've got Tobias, uh, who, who's located the cat, and he manages to lead the group to it, and um, the 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 cat escapes up a tree. And here we actually get some some useful information from Cassie, and this is going to be her role throughout the remainder of the series. Is uh, she's kind of like the group's Pokedex, you know? <laughs> she gives you the little clips of information. Oh, a uh, a male cat in hunting mode at night. Oh, we're in for you know we're in for <laughs> some trouble. Oh, his his visual ac- acuity is eight times that of a human. Right. Yeah. Moving on. Um, Tobias comes up with a plan. And he gets what he thinks is a mouse, a baby mouse for Rachel to morph into to try to lure the cat out of the tree. And it's actually an adult shrew. So we get a little shrew knowledge. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't I didn't know about shrews. Or... Now, was it a shrew or was it a vole? I don't care. A vole looks very similar. I learned that at a young age and you should too, Coleman and listeners. Yeah, so she, she morphs shrew, which as they were expecting and completely we're correct in thinking uh it's very much like jake's lizard morph where it's a prey animal it goes insane she goes running about all over the place finally is helped by tobias specifically tobias um she gets the shrew morph animal instincts under control and here's where we get to see a a a bit of a kind of friendship slash relationship developing between Tobias and Rachel. Just the way that they kind of talk to each other is a little bit more loose and, and, and free than, you know, like say she talked to Marco, obviously, or, or even if she talked to Jake. It's a little more intimate than you would expect from these two characters who've had very brief instances of this, but it's kind of showing that there's something there. Well, yeah, and, and Tobias... um as she points out, um, Tobias privately uh, contacts her through ThoughtSpeak. He, he sends her a lot more private messages, and that's, you know, the eighth grade equivalent of uh, chatting with your crush online, <laughs> except it's in your brain. Or sending notes from when <laughs> we were actually in eighth grade. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So she 
you know, gets over this uh, crazed animal instincts. Uh, they they move her over to the tree. They get the cat after much scratching and horrible cat behavior. And she now has acquired the Chapman household cat. Yeah, which brings uh, the total number of morphs for Rachel up to four, which uh, they make a point of saying that's that's the most animals any of them have acquired yet. And um, they pose this question. They wonder if there's a limit to how many uh, morphs they can acquire. And, you know, there's really no way to test that at this point. And, and so they just kind of shrug it off. Coming up on this, uh, after the whole true experience, you know, they all go their separate ways. And Rachel goes home, goes to sleep. And we come to possibly my favorite scene in this book. Uh, you have Rachel waking up from a nightmare, just sheets soaked horrible cold sweat and she has her little sister uh waiting for her because she was screaming you know probably at the top of her lungs and they go into this little joined bathroom for this really i don't know uh, i don't know why i like it so much other than the fact that it's so out of place for a book series like this i mean it's a little side scene of just showing this relationship between these two sisters and towards the end of it rachel in her head is thinking I can't trust this girl I grew up with. Like she can't bring herself to just com- completely trust her like two sisters would because anyone could be a controller. Even even this, you know, I assume what like 9-year-old girl, she's probably 9 or 10. Yeah, well, I don't I got to say I don't necessarily agree with the thought that anyone could be a controller. Well, that is technically true. Yes, any human being could be a your controller. I think they're they're not going for, you know, quite that demographic just yet while they are definitely going for people of power uh the numbers game can only work in their advantage and they probably get a lot of people through the sharing who have younger brothers and sisters and they just you know get families at a time i assume because the more people you have the better that's just that's if you have more numbers you're gonna have another person with a dracon beam in their hand and it's going to help you out in the end somehow. And they have plenty of Yurks from what we've seen. They have plenty of Yurks waiting in orbit to put in whoever they want. That is true. But, uh, yeah, so but at this point, she doesn't know. But she's not going to tell her about her, you know, morphing adventures. So <laughs> it doesn't go anywhere. It's just a great little scene uh, that I wasn't expecting. And it kind of surprised me in this reread. Uh, and I, I just, I dug it. So the next day uh, at school, obviously, after having all these nightmares all night, Rachel looks like poopy and uh she she encounters jake and and jake you know asks her you all right what's going on and they they talk a little bit about having these nightmares of these terrible terrible morphs and and jake you know tells her that he's had nightmares about the lizard too and just eating the the spider and it's uh it's something that's going to be plaguing their minds with these with these terrible terrible morph experiences throughout the entire series I always like their relationship, too. Uh, you don't see that in very many characters in books and movies and stuff. Uh, these two cousins. I mean, there's no romantic involvement. There's no anything like that. It's just it's two characters who are kind of not immediate family members, but they're, you know, related. And they they just have a kind of a cool, chill relationship throughout the series, uh, especially when things start getting a little darker and uh, more chaotic. So Rachel's back at school and, and she realizes that um, Melissa, her friend, is, is still a wreck. And, um, you know, why wouldn't she be with, with both of her parents being controllers? Not talking uh, to her, just brushing her off. 
uh, we're starting to see that Rachel needs her to complete the mission, but there's obviously going to be something more there where she wants to help out a friend. It's it's more than just finding the next goal to defeat the Yurks. It's this person's screwed up, and uh, maybe I can help her. And in... well, and also at this point, Rachel is kind of the only one who can help her. Yeah, well, no one else cares, <laughs> as they <I> say. <laughs> I, I guess I was more referring to because she's an anamorph. Oh no, I, I I meant that you know it's like Marco's not going to help her. He doesn't give he doesn't give a crap. Nobody <laughs> gives a crap about <laughs> Melissa. I don't even give a crap about Melissa. Yeah. she's gone after this book anyway. So they, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they, um, they were going to do the mission that night, but they hold off because you know schoolwork and the next day, uh, Cassie's dad has his birthday party that i'm sure cassie and their parents had a lot of fun at and i'm sure there's an entire book dedicated to that birthday yeah where's the side story on that but they they finally make their way back to chapman's house and they're ready they're going to do the morph and do the mission and see what comes of it well yeah and it's it's important to mention that i guess um the real fluffer mckitty is out and on the prowl so that's kind of their their time limit so to speak for this mission is they just want to make sure they get everything done before the real fluffer returns. <laughs> the real fluffer. The uh, real fluffer. Uh, Rachel goes into cat morph, and I thought the animal instincts were kind of cool. She never really takes over the cat instincts. She kind of lets them hang out, and uh, they kind of match her personality pretty well. Well, yeah, but there's also some moments where, you know, she tests out her, her cat body by jumping up onto a wall and... Um, she notes how, how, you know, flexible and amazing a cat's body is. And she is envious because she's a gymnast, of course. And, uh, you know, and there's, she, she sniffs some pole with some cat urine on it. <laughs> and, like, Rachel, what are you doing? And she's like, just testing it out. Yeah. We, we, Man. we learn a bit of, uh, information about cats and their physiology. And it's, uh, it's pretty interesting as she heads into the house and. Yeah. It turns into a National Geographic book here for a second. Yeah. Once she's in the Chapman household, uh, she immediately identifies where all three of the family members are in the house, and uh, she begins following Chapman Sr., Vice Principal Chapman. Before that, she, she takes notice how just weird their their behavior is. Mr. and Mrs. Chapman, who are both controllers, you know, Mrs. Chapman, she's in the kitchen. I think she's preparing dinner or something, but she's not doing it like a normal human would, you know, where... People have like quirks, you know, well, they'd be humming a tune or or I don't know, maybe calling up to check on their daughter or something. But it's a world of no distractions. Uh, Chapman and <laughs> Vice Principal Chapman and the mother should be doing things they enjoy while they're doing the tedious work. So that's what that's what we would do. We would listen to music. We'd do any of that. And they're just sitting there waiting. So I assume the Yerks are like going through their memories or organizing their day, you know, something like that, and just letting their host bodies sit there. My host body requires more milk. Yeah. I must go to the store. Well, I'm sure it's a lot of work uh, preparing to, you know, go out into public and make sure at the drop of a hat you can pull up some memory of your childhood or something. So, yeah, so they are acting very unhuman-like. And Rachel takes notice of this immediately. And after hearing Melissa up in her room going over homework and being completely normal, it's even stranger seeing these two just so off kilter and unhuman. Um, it's it's pretty strange. So after noticing that and making note of it, Rachel follows Mr. Chapman 
down into the basement, hoping that he is going to lead her to, I don't know, the York pool. I don't know what she expected him to do down there. He could be doing what he's actually doing and contacting Visitor 3. Yeah, he goes into the secret super sci-fi James Bond base, uh, which, I mean, he's got this door and then it goes to another door that has a vault. Um and goes in there, and it's just a just an office. I'm sure the walls are lined with lead, so you know Superman can't spy on him while he's talking to Visitor Three or whatever. And she barely makes it in, and gets ready to hear the conversation of a lifetime. Yeah, here's an interesting thing. Um, so Tobias, this whole time is uh, talking to her through Thoughtspeak because his Thoughtspeak range uh, can reach inside the house. But as soon as Rachel starts going down into the basement, I guess the the Thoughtspeak equivalent is uh, instead of like static, it just kind of gets a little bit quieter, and then he's gone. Mm-hmm. and she's, like, really cut off, and she's on her own, and it's not a good situation, obviously, because she's a cat, and she's following a very dangerous controller. Yeah, so she's all by herself in this, you know, metal-enclosed room, uh, and Chapman is just waiting, just waiting for something. She doesn't know what, until, you know, a bright light forms in the middle of the room under this kind of headlamp-style hanging lamp. And, um, yeah, Visitor 3 in holographic form appears right in front of her. This is the first time we hear, uh, well, I think it's the first time that we hear an actual Yerk name. Then uh, we find out that uh, uh, Chapman's Yerk name is uh, Innis226 of the Sulpnia Pool. Yeah, it's an interesting way that they name the Yerks and, and they talk about generations and it's kind of more important what generation you're from. And it, it's it's an interesting developing, you know, sci-fi world that's being built even as early as the second book. They also make a reference to the Council of Thirteen, which is the first any type of organization within the Yerk Empire we hear about, which I thought is interesting. Yeah, Visitor 3, uh, he comes on in his hologram and, um, you know, he's he's very kind of stereotypical bad guy right now. Where are the Andalite bandits? We must catch the Andalite bandits. That's what he's all about. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he, he, of course, says, you know, the Council of Thirteen is going to hear about this. And they are going to flip. <laughs> and uh, as as he's going about, you know, typical villain stuff, uh, Visitor 3 spots the cat, Rachel. <laughs> he's just like right away. What the heck's that thing? Kill it. Yeah. And this is a test to see how she'll react. Uh, as far as they play it out and she does her part well she just sits there as a bored cat and visitor three tests her a little bit further by kind of slashing at her with his scorpion-esque tail and she goes straight into cat mode you know ears back swiping with the paw yeah and and she she actually you know goes to to swipe at the hologram which i think is what really sealed the deal and, and made Visitor 3, you know, not think she's an Andalite bandit. This part's great because then Visitor 3, for nearly a paragraph, just talks about how great cats are and <laughs> yeah. how much, oh man, what a worthy species. Like, he, he really becomes a cat person right here. This is the book where Visitor 3, uh, I think he's going to go to an adoption agency later and just get like a ton <laughs> of cats. It's a side story. Visitor 3's cat night. You know, it's just him at home. With like 30 cats. No, he's on the bridge of the blade <laughs> ship, and there's just cats everywhere, and taxons are just like awkwardly trying to move them out of the way. I assume he's uh, he's working on turning cats into controllers. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what he says right there. He says, uh, "Oh man, I wish they I wish they were hosts." Like he's gonna leave his Andalite body so that he can become a cat. Nah, but he could definitely morph a cat. I'm sure he does that all the time. <laughs> he just sits in his room as a cat. 
alone. Oh, uh, and speaking of Visitor 3, here we get a uh, another Visitor 3 morph. Uh, it's, it's something, it's a creature called a, a Vanarx, I believe, if that's how you pronounce it. Vanarx? Or Yerkbane. It apparently excels at wrapping itself around a, a head and sucking out the yerk. Yeah, so it's it's probably something directly from their home world uh, that just evolved to prey on yerks. It could be. Um, I don't think we get any more info on it, but it, it's, you know, just another Visor 3 morph. And especially, this is really important to note, is that it's his go-to morph for intimidation. Because immediately after uh, Chapman... Uh, leaves this room and goes up to talk to uh, Mrs. Chapman about it. He tells her like, "Oh man, Visor Three just breathing down my neck. He he showed me, you know, how he morphed a Yerk Bane and and killed this other Yerk. And God, I just we hate him so much. Which that's uh, <laughs> that's the best management style right there, where you just have to show one employee and then he goes and tells the rest of the herd uh, why you should all be afraid. So. Yeah, except that it, it kind of has the opposite effect of, of really painting Visor 3 as this character that not even a lot of the Yerks themselves like. Yeah, when you have the most evil race in the galaxy, kind of like thinking you're an asshole, you're probably the worst character. <laughs> well, yeah, and there, I think that's just with the Yerks is that, you know, that's their folly, is that they're constantly trying to outdo each other. There's so much, you know, struggle for power even within the Yerk Empire and that's kind of, you know, why they're such good villains. Well, I mean, they're bad villains because of it, but <laughs> they're good villains. They're more layered than that. We we see Yerks with tons of different motives and uh, specialties. So, so after they discuss Visitor 3 and, and what he's going to possibly do to them if they don't find these Andalite bandits, they head back upstairs and Rachel falls along and uh, Melissa comes downstairs asking for help with her homework and obviously the two yurks are distracted by this threat to their lives and all that and they just oh, they yeah. just brush her off they don't care and we have this nice little scene where rachel goes up uh and sits with melissa on her bed and comforts her as tobias and jake are yelling at her to get out well yeah tobias is thought speaking to her and and uh he's saying you know jake is out here and he's losing his mind you gotta get out you know <laughs> and she's like tell jake to shut up <laughs> <laughs> yeah so she's she's putting melissa ahead of the animals at this point which yeah bold move rachel bold move kind of kind of but at the same time this is also when rachel really comes to the conclusion that you know i don't care what happens anymore like this is not cool and i am going to continue to fight these yurks no matter what yeah so after that, we start to see a nice little note the book does to tell us that being Animorphs and being high schoolers, middle schoolers, middle schoolers. Uh, junior high, I would say. Yeah. So we get the uh, author telling us that this is starting to affect their daily lives and their school grades and everything. So being an Animorph is yeah. not great for your education. Well, not until they open that Animorphs University I keep hearing about. Oh, man. Sign me up. It's like Hogwarts, but, you know. <laughs> You're turning into flies. Awesome. Yeah. So they all decide to meet up at their home base that never shows up in the series ever again, the church tower. Well, don't say that. We don't know for sure, I guess. I'm sure in book 44, they meet up at the church tower again, and uh, it's <laughs> awesome. They have, a, they have a tea party there. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, well, the cool thing here is that, um, yeah, you know, Jake tells her, well, well, we're meeting at the church tower later, and... This is the point where they start to get a little smarter. Rachel says, oh, it'll take me forever to walk there. And Jake's like, well, then don't walk. 
fly. Yeah, and we have that ability. That's a that's a cool one liner that'll that'll make it into the uh, Animorphs movie adaptation whenever it gets made. Sure. <laughs> so you know she flies with Tobias, and you get a little more of this bonding we were talking about between them. Uh, a little more sweet talk, but more more just you know I care about you and stuff like that. Uh, that's how their whole relationship goes for a while. And uh, and and this is another great moment where they're all in this church uh, tower. Marco brings up, you know, their their outfits are just terrible. They're all mismatched, and Cassie's wearing like neon green. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I like how he compares it. You know, Jake makes some snide comment, like one of the few snide comments he makes uh, about how you know what are they going to dress up like the Fantastic Four or something? And Marco's like, no, 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 we don't have to all match. Yeah, we could go like the X Men, and it's just all about style, you know. We we can do our own thing, and yeah, and I don't see why they don't do that. No, it's it's <laughs> it's a part of them. They're they're kids. They're not superheroes. But yeah, so once again, Rachel wants to go back into the Chapman household and find out more about the Candrona. Yeah, well, that's really their their only move, I guess, at this point. Although I think at, at also at this point, Rachel's kind of more motivated just with sticking to helping Melissa. I think that would spurn her decision here a little bit more. But yeah, they they need to find out more about this Candrona. And at, at this point, they don't even know really what the Candrona looks like. As as they point out, um, they they don't know how big it is. They don't know what it looks like. They think you know, well, it could be the size of a a mall, or it could be you know the size of a pocket lighter. And to remind our uh, listeners, the Candrona is basically a superficial version of the Yerk Sun. Uh, that feeds into their pools and and keeps them alive if if they are able to visit the pool every three days. So it's kind of this restrictive uh, element to the Yerk's physiology. And uh... yeah, I I always saw it as the Animorphs obviously have a two hour morphing time limit. That's kind of their their one drawback, their their you know limit. And the Yerks have this three day gotta feed on Candrona limit after they discuss that you know rachel kind of talks him into it she doesn't again uh, just like earlier she doesn't tell him the whole truth she hides the fact that visitor three not only saw her but you know <laughs> wanted chapman to kill her so that's well yeah visitor three flat out suspected her as an andalite bandit yeah so she keeps that on the down low which probably won't affect anything later on i mean that's that's no, that's not relevant information to the rest of the group who are putting their lives on the line. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think Cassie and Tobias certainly sense that something is off with her. I think Cassie even mentions, you know, there's something you're not telling us. And she's like, no. So, of course, they want someone to go with her. But then, you know, you can't have two cats running in the Chapman house. And and Rachel makes a remark of, what are you going to do, morph a flea and ride on my back? Foreshadowing. It's not even foreshadowing. That's like, hey, this is going to happen here in a few minutes. <laughs> just, just get just get on board. I, I will say that I did not remember that, and I did not expect that. Oh, okay. Well, then maybe it works, and I'm just... It fooled me! <laughs> so they go on the next mission, and this, I can't believe I fell for this originally, but I, I totally did. Jake doesn't show up for the mission because he's grounded. Which, if you, yeah. even though we're only a book and a half in now, if you've been listening or reading at all, uh, Jake's character, I think he would find a way to get there if they were going to go on a mission where his cousin's life is on the line. Oh, sure, yeah. Especially, you know, with morphing, even if you were grounded and confined to your bedroom, I'm sure you could sneak out and fly morph or something. Yeah, and even... Um... Even though this is pretty obvious on what's going on, uh, on this reread, I, I forgot this part. I forgot that Jake 
wasn't you know or was on this mission and he was about to go flea morph so so color me fooled as well well anyway they they go back to this mission uh yeah jake's grounded they're gonna get right into it so rachel morphs the cat again and uh before she you know gets going on her way cassie kind of leans down and, and and rubs her back just to kind of send her off we get very much the same thing rachel goes into the house you know takes stock of where everyone is and once again follows Chapman down into the basement. And at this moment, we've got Jake kind of revealing himself through thought speak. He's like, where are we? You know, I can't see anything. She's like, what are you doing? I love his line uh, that he's like, so what's happening now? And she had no idea he was there or he was on their back or anything. And she just like spins in a 360 in cat morph. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it almost kind of uh, kind of ruins the plan for a moment because she's so startled by him. She almost bumps into Chapman. Yeah, so a great, great little moment. Uh, but she she puts it together and continues to follow Chapman in, and we get a very similar scene where the hologram comes on and Vision Three starts demanding stuff. Well, oh, wait a minute! Before you talk about that, dude, Jake's in a flea morph. We have to discuss this because that's one of those sicko bugs that they never wanted to try. Yeah. And here we've got you know no debate about it. It's just. Jake's there. He's in flea morph. Yeah, I mean that's it's crazy because they were just talking about how being any kind of insect morph is disgusting and and probably horrible. Uh, but Jake Jake jumped right in, <laughs> pun intended. Yeah, and uh, I think we're all kind of surprised to learn that the flea doesn't really have a whole lot of senses or instincts to you know to to make it a uncomfortable morph. Uh, as Jake says, it's just kind of like well he can't really see and. He can't really smell or hear anything, but, you know, he, he just kind of wants blood. They feel warmth and they jump towards it. So interesting perspective uh, from K.A. Applegate on the lives and tales of insects. I wouldn't go that far. So anyway, getting back, the cat, Rachel goes and once again follows uh, Chapman into this steel encased room, the secret office. And we see Visitor 3 coming back, angry as ever. Yeah, well, I, I think Visitor 3 mentions... Uh, that they need more guards for the Candrona. So they're, they're you know, hitting those hot button issues that they're there for, specifically the, the information about Candrona. And Rachel thinks this is a great time to go ahead and inform Jake that the first time she was in a room with the Hologram Visitor 3, yeah, he ordered her death. So just great timing on her part on telling Jake that, bringing him up to speed. Well, better to, better to tell him now uh, before he has her... <laughs> killed again but of course of course it was going to happen uh they are discovered uh more so rachel than jake because he's just some bug on her back and this time visitor three immediately is like chapman get her grab her and she fights it must be an andalite because why would the cat be in there twice visitor three he does not he's not read uh cat facts at all so he doesn't... It's cat... It's cat fancy. Cat fancy. Okay? The magazine's cat yeah. fancy. So he immediately, you know, assumes Andalite Bandit. Uh, Chapman goes after her, and she fights valiantly, but, you know, she's a cat. She's a house cat. So he gets her, puts her in the cat carrier, and this is pretty bad. I mean, it's a small little enclosed space. Can't really morph out of it. Well, no, and she doesn't want to demorph at this point. She doesn't really want to do anything to give away that she actually is, well, first of all, a human, and second of all, just an anamorph, a, a person in disguise. She's still kind of trying to to act the part of the cat, you know. She, at the very least, she's not going to speak to, to anybody. Of all the anamorphs to uh, give up their cover, to sell the other ones out, Rachel's 
never going to be the one to do it. I mean, she's the strongest of them. She's the one who uh, would do it just to slap whoever has her in the face. Uh, you know, that's that's just her personality. Cassie might buckle if she thinks it'd save a life or something, but um, <laughs> but Rachel's... We have nothing nice to say about Cassie ever. <laughs> I have tons of nice things to say about Cassie later on. And I, I don't even agree with people who, you know hate on Cassie all the time. She's not my... You hated on Cassie so much in that first episode. It's so easy. It's the only reason. I'm trying to get laughs out of our listeners, you know. We gotta jingle the bells for them so they stick around. Rachel, Rachel's in a cat carrier right now, and uh, Visitor 3 is very much like, yeah, bring me the cat, or the Andalite bandit, and you know what? Go ahead and bring me that... Uh, that that human daughter of of your hosts, Melissa. We're gonna go ahead and turn her into a controller right now. This is This is what brings us to a key scene where we get to uh learn that the the host bodies have somewhat of an ability to kind of fight back against the yurks who are in control they can sort of not necessarily regain control of their body 100 percent, but they can you know do things to to mess them up and make them look very awkward and they might be able to you know control a finger or a wrist or uh, one leg, and that might be enough to blow the cover, or at least raise suspicion around uh, controllers. So it it becomes a really important plot point. It's it's really interesting in general, just from a sci-fi perspective. Of um, you know, you don't get this in Invasion of the Body Snatchers or anything like that, where the humans are still there. They're there. They're aware of everything that's happening, and they have a few means to resist. Yeah, and, I, and we also saw in the first book where uh, Jake was talking to Tom, and his eye sort of twitched at an mm-hmm. inopportune moment. And yeah, basically, the 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 Yurks can lose control very rarely, and and not like totally. So the hosts are fighting back, um, but they they recover from it, and um, Chapman realizes that. Uh, you know the host fighting back is uh is is brought on directly by uh visitor three wanting to turn melissa into a a controller and so they they decide that you know it's not worth their trouble right now if the hosts are going to be rebelling against them they they decide to leave melissa despite visitor three's orders and and go see visitor three which leads to a scene of uh of melissa you know she's still there in the house she notices them with this cat carrier going out to their car and she goes running after them chases them she's just talking to them at first and then she's just yelling at them of you know where are you you taking my cat you know and and they're just completely ignoring her and once the animorphs realize that this is a problem and that they might just grab melissa and take her uh they find the actual fluffer mckitty and bring him, her, him, it's Tomcat. They bring him onto the scene and uh, dispel Melissa's distraught nature. This leads to um, just the coldest line in the book of once this, the actual Fluffer McKitty shows up and Melissa's like, well, why didn't you just tell me that this is some other cat? And Chapman's like, I didn't notice you. And it's like, oh. clever, clever <laughs> save. Oh, it's just, yeah, it's not very well thought out, but it's also just, oh man, that's, that's cold from your parent who's been ignoring you and acting strange anyway. I didn't notice you yelling at me. Oh yeah. And she, she, she tells him, she's like, I was crying. And he's like, oh, yeah. well, whatever. I, I gotta take this. Cat. Yeah. I got, I got cat stuff to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's my boss. He's really into him now. Yeah. <laughs> so they 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 have rachel they're raring to go uh rachel's trying to she's just trying to convince jake to to leave her and demorph at this point because he can 
really. And uh, Jake's just flat out refusing to to leave her, and and she insists. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. She's she's trying to convince Jake to jump off, and finally he goes silent. Uh, he's he's gone. So she, you know, she tries to call him back just to test it out, and and he's just not there anymore. So she's once again by herself. Yeah. The uh, the meeting place for uh, meeting up with Visitor Three is the abandoned construction site once again. We've got that location to reuse. So it must be pretty remote, I'm imagining. They make sure uh, to let us know that this place is far off and you can't see all these spaceships landing here all the time. But yeah, the blade ship does arrive and Visitor 3 steps out and he's just excited, just giddy to have... I don't know if he's giddy about getting another cat or if he's giddy about getting an Andalite bandit. <laughs> I can't tell. <laughs> He's, well, you know, he's he's. This is really a, a night about Visitor Three starting collections because he's going to start collecting cats and he's going to start collecting Andalite. Bandits. If he can get both at the same time, <laughs> I mean, this is he doesn't even need Earth. He's just he's happy. So Rachel is in this cat carrier, surrounded by Horkbajir taxons, multiple bug fighters, the Blade Ship, uh, and Visitor Three is right in front of her. And this is the first time. We have Visitor 3 directly thought-speaking to an Animorph, and it scares the crap out of her. So Visitor 3 is obviously talking to Rachel. This is the first time, and it's very scary. But she makes a point to not say anything back to him. Not only does she, because she wants to. She wants to be like, ha, you're stupid. I'm a human, not an Andalite. But she obviously knows that that is a dumb move, and so she refrains from doing that. So Visitor 3, obviously he notices that Melissa isn't there, and he you know, demands to know why Chapman uh, didn't follow his orders and bring her. And, and you, you don't defy Visitor 3 very often and uh, live to talk about it. But Chapman specifically says, well, my host wants to talk to you. And we get a really, really neat, uh, just, just a really cool scene uh, where Chapman gives up control to his host, and he just falls to the ground. This guy hasn't used his muscles or anything by himself in quite a while. And it, it is a really interesting and kind of powerful scene where he's just pleading with garbled speech for his daughter's life. But there is one weird thing I wanted to bring up to you that I found uh, not unbelievable, but weird in the context of the rest of the series. Why would it be so hard for him to use his body? Because doesn't he go to the York pool every three days and is put in, into one of the cages? Yeah, but you also got to just think basic human anatomy, dude. Uh, he's got a freaking parasitic alien wrapped around his brain inside every single crevice of his brain. Yeah, but I think the scene insinuates that he's having all this trouble because he hasn't used his body in so long. No, no, I saw it as more of uh, the Yurk is, you know, turning control back over to the human, and we don't know anything about that process. Maybe he does have to unwrap himself from the brain a little bit, and if he does, you know, that's obviously going to mess stuff up within your human body. Except we do see it a couple times throughout the series, and it doesn't seem like anybody else has that much trouble with it. Well, we haven't seen it now. Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, so we've got the real Chapman is, you know, pleading with Visitor 3. And it's kind of cool, I guess, how this kind of nobody character is is basically standing up to the, the main villain of the series. And, um, you know, he's telling him 
the only reason that I became a controller was just so that you would leave my daughter alone. My my wife was all for it. She's she's weaker than I am, but you Yerks prey on weakness, so I understand it. And he basically convinces Visor 3, if you don't leave my daughter alone, I'm going to mess up your plans. I have that ability. All it takes is one little arm spasm or something while I'm in the, the school. And suddenly people will think, you know, he's either ill or, or mentally ill or whatever. Which he's playing a bigger hand than he actually has. Well, no, I mean, Visor 3 could very easily kill him right now, but... It impresses Visor 3 a little bit, and uh, he decides to, you know... Let him continue on with the original agreement. Well, yeah, he's happy enough with his new cat. He, uh... And now we have Jake chiming in. So, what's happening now? (laughs) Oh, yeah, Jake's back. Jake never left. He was there the entire time. Being his devious Jake self. You know him. Rowdy character. And he he finds out what's going on through Rachel, and she freaks out again, and uh, he is going to go ahead and try to pull a double morph where he's, he's going to jump off and try to go tiger so he can help them get out of the situation. And this is, this is all as they're being loaded on to the blade ship. I mean, she's, she is screwed. Well, and as Jake reveals, he's only got 15 minutes left in flea morph and that's not one you want to be stuck in. No, that would be pretty bad. So we've got, uh, uh, a lone hork guard comes and, takes uh, the, the, the cat carrier that Rachel's in and, and puts it, you know, inside the blade ship. They mentioned that she can see outside through the opening, so I'm guessing the the, the blade ship hatch door is still open. Mm-hmm. And then and from the inside, she can see this earth mover. Yeah, it's just, just a general term for, you know, bulldozers and, and cranes. And, you know, I, maybe it's something more specific, but I've heard other people reference it as kind of a general term. So just, you know, construction equipment. Right. Well, she she can see outside the blade ship that there's an earth mover heading towards them. Yeah. And this is this is when Jake abandons her, actually, to finally go demorph inside the blade ship, which is a pretty pretty bold move. He doesn't really know what's hanging out around there. As Jake abandons uh, Rachel... Visitor 3 and the Tax and Torpedier start to notice this giant bulldozer or crane or whatever it is coming at them. And Visitor 3 is told that, you know, they got two minutes until they can take off. So not a great situation for their fancy new ships uh, hanging out there in the construction site. No, and this is where we get another instance of Visitor 3 unnecessarily being a dick because he's mad he kills a Taxon. They're Taxons. <laughs> They're expendable. Well, they are. And uh, <laughs> I like how he specifically is like, okay... Some of you get in there and get this ship flying. The others can just eat this extra tax. <laughs> yeah, whatever. And I might I might kill one of you other ones, too. Who, kn- who knows? It depends on my mood. Well, if you think about it, sir, I, I thought that was kind of silly how, you know, he's like, the, other, the rest of you can eat this other taxon. You might look at that and think that's kind of sadistic or whatever, but it makes sense that he would want to clean up the construction site so you're not leaving a dead alien body around. Yeah, not to mention the fact that uh, anytime you feed the other Taxons, you're probably getting a boost in morale. Maybe they're too stupid for morale, though. No, they're not stupid. We we hear about them later. They're they're sentient. <laughs> Arboron! <laughs> so yeah, so this Earth Mover's coming. Uh, they try to stop it. But yet another one's coming. So Jake finally is able to go straight back to Tiger. So we finally have, you know, somebody in this fight who can do something. And he's inside the blade ship and just starts 
going at it with them. Just starts taking everybody out. Yeah, and you know, while all the uh, guards are very busy shooting at this this oncoming Earth mover, Rachel actually manages to demorph just enough to get some little stubbly human fingers <laughs> and uh, unlock the cat cage and remorph cat and quickly run out and escape. Yeah, and this is when we get another member of the Jake Tom family just just jumping at Visor Three randomly. Uh, just the smartest thing that they could think to do is just try to tackle Visitor 3. This is the third attempt. Yeah, yeah, there, there's definitely more going for him this time. And, you know, he's he's really excited to get some payback on Visitor 3 from what happened last time. Visitor 3 goes to a 20-foot-tall rock monster morph that he was just, you know, keeping for a special occasion, which he that seems to be his go-to plan is, oh, something bad is happening let's go to the tallest biggest creature i can that can you know mess things up yeah he again you know just doesn't really show a lot of forethought and strategy with his morphs i i think visitor 3 is a little a little morph happy and granted i mean this time he's not even up against an elephant there's a house cat and then a slightly larger cat running around and uh and so he takes the time to morph to this 20 foot tall useless creature and starts throwing rocks at everything just, just bounding around. He's taking out Hork Bajir left and right. It says. Now, wait a minute. When they when they describe this in the book, uh, they say it's kind of like a twenty foot tall rock monster uh, with two arms. They mention that. Were Were you also imagining the uh, the rock titan from Disney's Hercules movie? No, no. Uh, I was picturing the rock monster from Galaxy Quest, except with a tiny little head. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I guess that could work too. Yeah. So something like that, you know, kind of a really a pretty classic sci-fi trope, some rock monster running around. Yeah, everyone's going to substitute their own image. But but then we get a, a great moment where she is running away in cat morph and about to get caught by him until one of the earth movers that Marco or Cassie, whoever's running around starting these things up, uh, it slams into a bug fighter, blows it up because uh, that's how those things work, probably. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, any little bulldozer that runs into a bite, uh, bug fighter apparently can destroy well, it's it. Not, yeah, it blows it up to the point where it distracts and possibly hurts Visitor 3 in this giant rock morph. So, like, man, if somebody's leaning on one of those things, does it just, like, combust? Like, <laughs> what's the sensitivity on that? I don't know. Yeah, that's, those are not well designed. They're they're the laughing stock of the uh, galaxy spaceships <laughs> we get a cool scene where where rachel and cat morph is running away the whole book has kind of kind of been going into these um scenes of her gymnastics and and gracefulness as a cat and everything and we get one more little action beat of her jumping through this hole in a wall and, and being caught by tobias in a very gymnastic-esque move i kind of glossed over that i guess i never really <laughs> i didn't even catch on to that yeah. i i just had you know cassie's running and and then Tobias kind of airlifts her to safety. Did I say Cassie? I meant Rachel. You, you did say Cassie. Well, you know, Cassie and horse morph. <laughs> <laughs> Is picked up by <laughs> Tobias and flown into safety. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, uh, Rachel is airlifted to safety by Tobias. And, um, you know, uh, uh, the red-tailed hawk can't necessarily lift a cat for very long. But it, it's long enough for them to to escape and and everybody else gets away safely too and in a scene uh that we'll see a couple times throughout the series or at least things that are similar to it we have one character secretly reaching out to another one uh basically the next day at school 
uh, Rachel leaves a note in Melissa's locker. And you want to tell us what that says? She leaves a note for Melissa that says, Melissa, your father loves you more than you will ever know and more than he can ever show you. Signed, someone who knows. And uh, she printed it out uh, on her word processor. So <laughs> she won't recognize the handwriting. Oh, of course. And, and you know, Marco, we get our obligatory uh, Marco comment about how they barely made it. And, and Jake is upbeat for some reason because he's leading an awesome team of changing teenagers and uh <laughs> and you know they start talking about next time and and marco's like next time what and tobias gets his hero speech at the end where he says there will be a next time there will be a next time until the andalites return we will fight them on the beaches and we will fight them in the jungles <laughs> yeah well basically it's just a continuation of, of more of these characters deciding that you know they have to fight and right now, it's it's kind of only Marco who's in opposition to that. Kind of. Well, I mean, I, I like how these first few books are going one by one, giving them each individually a reason to fight. And uh, yeah, I Jake got his. You know, he's got Tom. Rachel has her uh, her friend Melissa, which it's not really about Melissa. It really just gave her more of a, of a perspective. Yeah. Oh, what it what it did was kind of solidify her hatred for the Yurks. Yeah. Where she witnessed firsthand. Not even, it wasn't even like she, you know, just saw some random family. Like, it affects her personally. This is like her best friend, or used to be her best friend. Yeah. So it, it really gives her a personal stake in it. And I think she was more affected by finding out that Chapman became a voluntary host to save his daughter than anything Melissa was going through, really. Probably influenced her decision a bit. And I guess Cassie, her reason... At this point, it's just, you know, she likes Jake, so she's hanging out. Yeah, totally. She's like, uh, I'll fight this alien empire if I can get a kiss. I mean, I've got a barn, so I guess we could have our meetings there. Is that what I'm <laughs> contributing? <laughs> no, she's the group Pokedex. Or, or should we call her the Anadex? We're not calling anyone that. Nothing. It's sticking. Make it stick, listeners. I'm cutting out all your Pokedex references. <laughs> <laughs> no so okay so now we're going to uh move into our reviews of this book our individual thoughts on uh its quality and the writing and, and just the overall plot and story so you want to start us out with that yeah i don't have a whole lot to really say about it um it, it was it's a good book it's a good animorphs book even it uh it doesn't necessarily further the overall plot entirely but it's it's a good second book. It's definitely a strong entry into the series. You know, the characters are learning. They're they're uh, advancing with their abilities, and more and more of them are coming around to the idea of fighting. We're we're starting to see the character development between everybody. It's it's an essential book in that regard. As 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 far as like you know, overall necessity to the the Animorphs plotline. Um, Probably not the most important book, but I don't know. I, I, I liked it. What's your rating? My rating? Oh, yeah. Um, four cat morphs is what this book gets. It, it, it would have been five in terms of quality, I guess, but just the fact that it's not 100% necessary to the overall plot line. Um, just give me a four. It's it's a good book, but not necessary. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think four is a little high, um, <laughs> but I like this book. I like it a lot. It's uh, it's really good, uh, really good setup as a second book. It, it changes kind of the personality of the books and what they're trying to do. Um, it has a few moments that are 
necessary to the series and and the overall plot and moving us forward and really learning more about the yurks and and learning about their physiology and what they can do and and uh what they're more about as far as their physical forms so all of that's really interesting although the overall plot i gotta take some points away because it's it's just kind of repeating itself a few times um Mm -hmm. it's meandering a little bit it's it's not incredibly interesting until we get to some of those mythology points Visitor 3 is really, really simply written in this one. I mean, he has no character whatsoever, for the most part. And uh, the crew themselves, the Animorphs, they're they're good. And you have some uh, great dialogue moments between them, uh, with Marco being insensitive and, and foreshadowing to the Tobias stuff we're going to get so heartily in the next book. But overall, it's not one that I jump to to uh, reread. Unless I'm doing like a full reread of the series or something. So for my rating, I'm going to go ahead and just give it a three out of five balance beams. Ooh. Yeah, that's that's the rating I choose this time. But yeah, I just I just didn't think it held up to like some of the better ones. And maybe you're a little more forgiving and just hand out those four out of fives like crazy. But uh, I'm just thinking of my uh, my iTunes music list and how uh <laughs> quick i am to give everything four and five stars there no, it's definitely a good book and you know we gotta hold on to these k applegate written ones uh for as long as we can oh that's true cherish yeah them. i mean it's it, it's a great book but uh i want to be a little more i don't know unforgiving with my score just so that when i when i give out that five out of five when i give those out i'd like it to be more rare so that's that's my grading scale that's how i'm going with it did you give the first book a five out of five yeah, absolutely deserved it. The book is, is I think, a good book. But if you've already read the Animorph series, you would not necessarily need to read this book on a reread through of the series. If you have not read the Animorph series yet, of course, read number two. Because it's a good book and you won't be disappointed. Yeah, and it does have too much vital information that you need later on. So definitely a good book. I'm not I'm not saying it's average with a three out of five. I think that's that's just my standard good rating so anyway so that's that's book number two the visitor in the can uh hopefully uh we'll have some emails in the next episode to read at this time and kind of see how you weigh in so if you're looking forward to the next book review as much as we are uh go ahead and send us your reviews of that one and we'll we'll let you chime in at the end of it and uh you'll be a part of the show we, we want to hear from you. Yeah, I remember I remember book three being uh, one of the really good ones. So uh, I'm pretty excited about that. And I hope that we actually start getting some, you know, comments on the on the overall podcast. Yeah. So thanks for listening to Thought Speak. Uh, join us next week when we review book three, The Encounter. If you enjoyed this episode, you can follow the show by liking our Facebook or following us on Twitter at MorphCast. You can send us your questions or comments by emailing ThoughtSpeakCast at gmail.com. Rate the show on iTunes so more people can find out about it and join the conversation. So thanks again for listening in, and we can't wait to talk to you next week. Yeah!